to take on things. It's really the Lord against the idols. And you'll see the contrast. He'll go back and forth. The idols, the Lord. The idols, the Lord. So, the first section, chapter 10, verses 1 to 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. Do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the Gentiles are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are futile. For one cuts a tree from a forest, the works of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers, so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree, and they cannot speak. They must be carried, because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. Inasmuch, there is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations, and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Right, think a little bit about the mentality behind worshiping idols. Why did the Israelites always seem to want to worship idols? Something that they make that they can be proud of. Okay, maybe the idea of their own craftsmanship that they can uh, lift themselves up, Kimberly? Because they can see the idols. Yes. They can do what they want. They can do what they want, that's part of it. Because everyone else like, is doing it. When seeing the idols, like, you don't have any like, responsibility to them. Yeah. All you have to do is worship them. You don't have to do anything. They didn't have any moral demands. Was it? They don't, uh, what did I say? Everyone, everyone else was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, think about it this way. Um, you know, aren't all religions basically the same? I mean, does it really matter what we call God or how we worship him? I mean, as long as we believe in some higher power above ourselves, whether we give him the name God or Allah or Buddha or whatever, isn't it all the same thing? You know... And so since everybody around them were worshipers of idols, and idol gods, I mean, you know, they were broad-minded, tolerant people. And, and they wanted to um, find the cultural values in all the gods. You know, and, and, and not have this smug attitude that, well, our God's the only one. Well, obviously, these other nations know something too, and they've got some contributions to make. Can you see how they would have thought that way? I mean, when you're in, they're the only God worshippers, Jehovah God worshippers in this whole world. You got all these other nations and all these real these gods of the nations that are a lot stronger than they are, a lot more cultured and sophisticated than they are. You know, Baal was really dominant throughout that whole region. I mean, you know, they're going to be the only people who don't worship Baal. Can you see why they were tempted to worship the God idol God? It's very much the same thing that happens today. But I'll tell you, there's something more than that. Something we haven't hit on yet. That's a reason they worship those gods. Why would they worship Baal? Because they could see it. Yes, but what else? What's motivating them? Besides just fitting in, there's something else that motivates them that makes them want to worship the idol. 
man's rebellious nature. That too, definitely. What else? It's worked for the other nations. They're doing well, we're not. Yeah, you're on the right track. What if you don't? If you don't worship Baal, what's going to happen? You'll be judged by others. Well, and what's what else is going to happen? What, what if Baal? No rain. You know, Baal's the god of the the, the rain, the, the weather. You know, he's the god of the harvest. You don't worship Baal. What's going to eat? You know, Baal doesn't bless the harvest. You know what's going to happen? They were afraid not to worship the gods. They were afraid it would be bad for them if they didn't. They actually got to the point where they believed those gods actually did something. And so that's where Jeremiah comes in in part here. It's to say, now, you just look at these gods versus God. You know, he says, don't learn the way of the nations in verse 2. Don't be terrified by the signs of the heavens, although the nations are terrified by them. Don't you be afraid like these nations are and be intimidating into worshiping their gods because you're afraid not to. You're afraid if you don't, those gods will retaliate against you. Now, I do not, I, you know, I've seen so many takes off, takeoffs on this and I, fairy tales and all that were not my major. But I'm even sure what the original story of the Wizard of Oz showed at the end. Was the original story of the Wizard of Oz just some kind of manipulation when they got back there? Or is that just the takeoffs that have said that? I don't know, anybody know the original? Certainly some of the, was that the way it was in the original too? When they got back to the Wizard of Oz, he was just kind of, you know, well, I don't know what, 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 what did he do? He was just kind of manipulating things, but it wasn't really any real magic or anything like that. Isn't that kind of the idea? Yeah, I don't look very good at any of that kind of stuff. That's kind of what he does here. It's kind of like, you know, if, if you were this guy trying to make people scared and make people believe in you, what do you not want to happen? What can't happen if you're the Wizard of Oz? People can't stand behind the curtain. Yeah, exactly. You don't want anybody behind that curtain. Well, that's exactly what the Lord does right here. He just lifts the curtain up. It's okay. Let's, uh, let's take a tour of the uh, idol plant. You know, let's take a tour of the factory and see how it goes. He says the customs of the peoples are a delusion. Because it's wood cut from the forest. That's what it starts with. It's where it all begins. You've got to cut down the tree. The work of the hands of craftsmen with a cutting tool. Then they decorate it with silver and gold. And, uh, you know, get it all looking pretty. It's spruced up. And then what do they do with it? They fasten it with hammers so it won't fall down. Yeah. The best god you could have is motionless. Because it stinks if your god falls. So get, get the base plane down really good. And, you know, get it really fastened down good. And your God won't wobble or topple or move. Then you've got a good God. He says, like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, are they? That's a great picture. We don't do farming stuff. What's a scarecrow for? What is a scarecrow? I think that it scares crows. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. That's a good definition. What kind of a thing is a scarecrow? 
Yeah. What does it look like to the crow? Yeah. And so the crow is scared to eat the crops because he thinks there's somebody there watching. I don't know, do scarecrows really work? I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, the crow's going to recognize it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like a thing. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe there are some ways to get a scarecrow to have do some good. I don't know if you could ever get it in movement and make the crow thing. I don't know. What would be more, kind of more common things to do? Don't they sometimes shoot off guns or whatever? They'll make loud noises. Loud noises to try to scare off the crows. You know, because it sounds like somebody's there to shoot them or get them or, you know, something like that. But the, but the idea of a scarecrow is really nothing. It just scares the crow. That's the idea of these idols. They're really nothing. They just scared the people. The people just thought there was something to them. They're really just like a scarecrow and a cucumber field. There's nothing there. You know, you think there is. It scares you. Have you ever, like, seen something in a distance and it scared you? It looked like, I don't know, some terrible something. But it really was nothing. Once you got closer, you realized you were scared for nothing because there wasn't really anything. That's what these idols are like. That's what he's saying. In fact, just what can an idol do? Nothing. Yeah. Can it speak? Nope. Can it walk? Nope. Can it do anything? It can be carried. You know, it's just so much cumbersome baggage. You got to tote it around. You know, because it's not going to go anywhere on its own. How's an idol going to get someplace? You know, it can't. So this is a contrast with God. Look at verse 6. There's none like you, O Lord. You are great. And great is your name and might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? Indeed, it is your due, for among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Isn't that a great contrast? He's got this idol, cut down the tree, you know, get it all decorated up with gold, and make sure you hammer it down really good in its place so it doesn't topple or wobble. And here you've got the great God, the incomparable God, the great king of the nations. Now, why are we afraid of these idol gods? Anyhow, you know, what are we seeing in them? That's the difference. You know, when you get, you're going to get in college or wherever, and they're going to come at you with this philosophy, well, you know, I mean, the God of Christianity is not any better than any of these others. You know, it was just the product of Israelite religious thought. You know, the Israelites had a very developed religious culture. And, but it's, you know, they, they, they borrowed these stories of their God from these other nations. You know, and they got from the Sumerians and the Babylonians you know, and different people like that, the creation story that they adapted to their God, and the flood story, or legend, or myth is probably what they'll use. 
And, and so, you know, I mean, it's really good. The, the Israelites' God was a very good thing for them. And they were very, they were very good with developing their concepts of gods. But, but there were many other gods, even older ones than the Israelite gods. And, and more sophisticated, more advanced. And so we shouldn't believe that our God is any, any better than their God is. That is all baloney. Because it isn't true. The God we serve is not the product of some cultural evolution. The God we serve is God who made us, who revealed himself to us. And whatever else you've got in the way of gods is some kind of a cheap counterfeit for the Lord himself. Does that make sense? Let me throw this one out at you. While we're talking about this, it's probably as good a place as any. I've been dealing with this a little bit in Brazil. And it's such a common argument. See what you do with this. Because you're going to, man, if you're in college or even high school, maybe, you're going to confront things like this. You have, in, say, the Babylonian culture, things like the Gilgamesh epic. How many of you have heard of the Gilgamesh epic? Yeah, a few of you have. The Gilgamesh epic is a story about a man who, bottom line, built a boat that saved the world from a flood. Now, it had to do with the gods getting upset with men being so noisy and them deciding to flood out the world and some things like that. And his boat was a cube and a lot bigger than the Bible ark. But there's a lot of parallels. You know, it actually, you read it, and there are some, even sending some birds out and things like that. Several things are like, whoa, that sounds, it's it, certainly the whole story, especially the gods being upset with all the noise men were making, doesn't exactly sound like uh, Genesis, but there's some details in it that do. Now, here is the skeptical argument. You know, the flood myth in the Bible, you thought, in your, you know, ignorance, you know, growing up with your parents, you thought that this was some special thing. But actually, all the ancient nations had their flood myth too. And the Israelites just borrowed their flood story from the Babylonians and Sumerians. See, it's just like the Gilgamesh epic. Oh, a little different. You know, every nation kind of, you know, works it around. But, but basically... It's not some revelation from God. This is just a flood myth that all the nations had. Now, how would you answer that? Where do you think they got it? Well, where do you think they got it? Exactly. It is amazing the arrogance of atheists, and they probably wouldn't call themselves atheists, but whatever they want to call themselves, skeptics. Because, look, if a flood really happened, like the Bible said it happened, and I believe it happened just like the Bible said it happened, a universal flood, then in the ancient history of every nation, there was a flood. Now, if your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother was in a flood, you know, she was Mrs. Noah, you know, and you're a descendant of Mrs. Ham, Mrs. Shem, or Mrs. Japheth, then is Ham, Shem, and Japheth's children, are they going to know anything about the flood? 
Are they going to tell their children anything about the flood? Will some of them tell their children about this flood they heard from grandma and, and so forth? But what happens when a story gets passed down from generation to generation? It's yeah, you know, it just doesn't quite stay the same. But some things are going to stay the same. It'd be shocking if a story like that didn't have anything like the original. You know, there's going to be some things that are similar. There are flood stories in most ancient cultures. Well, what a shock. Do you suppose most ancient cultures went through a flood? You know, that's like a reasonable explanation to me. Of course, you know, passed down over generations, doesn't stay quite the same. Most ancient nations have a creation story. And that's another thing that's thrown in our face. See, this is just a creation myth like these. Well, why isn't it that there was a real creation <coughs> that people knew about and then kind of got handed down in various ways? To me, that's a much better explanation. But they will put all those things in your face. And they will, their whole goal is to say, our God is no better than the other gods. You know, oh, it's wonderful you have a religious tradition. You know, you ought to cherish your religious tradition without looking down on other people's religious traditions. Because those are good for them. That's baloney. These other gods are not real. There's no existence there. They can't do a thing. Don't buy the idea that, hey, you know, we're just kind of narrow-minded and egotistical because we think our God's better than their God's. Alicia? It's funny because they say that because everyone has a Finnish myth, but if only our religion had it, they'd be like, well, that's just a made-up story then because no one else dealt with it and it, it was universal and everyone would. So you can't really please them. Yeah, exactly. They, they, they will do all of those things. And... You know, it all depends on your mindset. Are you trying to are you trying to disprove God, or are you trying to look at the facts honestly and objectively? You know, and there's a lot of reasons people don't want to believe in God. He has some expectations and behavior that sometimes we're not overly comfortable with. So if we can convince ourselves that he's really no different than all these other gods, it makes it a lot more comfortable for us in the short run. So don't be intimidated. You know, go back to passages like Jeremiah 10 and say, wait a minute. You know, all these other ones you're talking about, they can't talk. They have to be carried. They can't walk. They can't do any harm. They can't do any good. They don't do anything. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name and mine. You know, when they come at you with those things, one of the things we've got to realize is there's an answer. You know, they sound really intellectual and sophisticated. They throw out a, a lot of big terms and, and they act like, oh, we know all this stuff. Well, when they come at you with the Gilgamesh epic, now you've heard it. It's no big deal. You know, it's, uh, it's what you'd expect if this account was true. Other thoughts? All right, somebody you read 8 to 10. But they are altogether stupid and foolish. In their discipline of delusion, their idol is wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish, and gold from Uphaz, the work of a craftsman and of the hands of a goldsmith. Violet and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skilled men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Back to the very same thing. What about their gods? 
They're nothing. They're stupid. They're foolish. You know, how can you transform a block of wood into a god? I don't care how many talented craftsmen work on that block of, block of wood, it's still no god. It's just a block of wood with a lot of decorations. It's all it amounts to. Go back and look at history. You know, why would we trust a block of wood? But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. He's the one who judges. God shakes the earth and guess what? About the only thing that, uh, well, about the only time the idols are going to move is when God shakes the world and they topple over. You know, otherwise they're, they're, they're motionless. God is the living God. The other gods are dead. Look at it this way. I probably used this before. I got this when I was a kid. But it's, cool. it's a cool way of looking at it. Here's the difference. You know, you think about all these world religions. Muhammad's tomb is occupied. Buddha's tomb is occupied. Confucius's tomb is occupied. Jesus's tomb is empty. There's the difference. We serve a God who does something. Those other gods are just philosophies. They're just things men make. They don't do anything. You're going to serve a God, make sure he does something. You know, the living God, the king of the world, he's the real God. Don't be ashamed of that. And don't back away from that because somebody who says he's smart says it's all a myth. Other thoughts? I'm going to take a break for a minute and then we'll come back and study some more.